Amen. Amen. Hey, take your seats, and uh, while you're doing that, get your Bibles out, and let's open them up to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just put your hand up. The ushers would be glad to uh, give you one. And uh, also, if you don't have one, feel free to take this one home with you. So cool to go to somewhere, somebody else's church and give their stuff away. And, uh, but if you don't have a Bible, you feel free to take that home as a gift uh, from Hope Bible Church in Ottawa. Well, it is great to be back and uh, to serve with Jermaine. It's the first time we've uh, served together in this context. I met him in a couple of the uh, prayer nights as their church was getting ready to launch um, over the last year or so. And then uh, Sue and I had the privilege to be at their church launch in uh, Toronto North uh, uh, back a few months ago and are so thankful to see what God is doing uh, through our fellowship as we uh, serve together. Now, at the end of the summer, I ended up preaching up in Muskoka and uh, uh, he was there. Um, it's funny how I didn't know that they told me that today, but then I remember what I preached on that day, and you were talking about the fellowship we have, and I was preaching from Philippians chapter 1, and the topic was together, together, talking about fellowship and how we get to do this together and encourage one another and, and lift one another up, and the fellowship we have in Jesus Christ, uh, just how awesome is that? And uh, God is working in and through his church, and uh, we rejoice in that. I'd ask that you uh, pray for Sue and I. I've been in this role now for one year and excited about what God is doing across Canada, but also around the world. Um, we're having a couple of meetings down in uh, Montreal tomorrow, one with a, a church planter, another with a church that uh, may be interested in joining a Great Commission Collective. And then on our way home back to Markham on Tuesday, uh, stopping in Kingston, uh, meeting with a church planter there, uh, a guy who's looking to plant a church in Kingston and wondering uh, whether he wants to do that with us in the Great Commission Collective. And that's what God is doing. That's how he is working. And uh, so we just rejoice in that. And we, we really covet your prayers um, as we serve together. And uh, all right, that's enough of that stuff. Happy New Year. How many of you in the room have ever, ever, not just as you're ever, made a New Year's resolution? How many? Put your hand, be honest now. Okay, now, put your hand down. How many of you have failed in your New Year's resolution? Put your hand up. Yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit yesterday because that's true in my life for sure. And uh, I realized that there's an interesting um, picture here that I see with this whole resolution and failing in resolution and making a resolution again. And that's what we do in our world. That's what we do. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to whatever it is. I'm going to eat more vegetables. I don't know what yours was that you failed in. Um, but isn't it awesome that as followers of Jesus Christ, because we make those kind of things in our lives, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to, and we fail, and yet God is ready to restore and put us back in fellowship, and with confession comes forgiveness, and so much better than a New Year's resolution and a breaking it, and it was what God does for us. And uh, so I want to talk today, my message title is One Thing. One thing. As we think about a new year, as we think about launching into a new year, what's important for you? What's important for you? If you were to bring it down to one thing, what would that one thing be? Uh, back in the uh, 15th century, Spain uh, led the world. Uh, the coins that they had reflected the arrogance that they had in their society. In the 15th century, on their coin, it said, nothing further. Nothing further. They thought they had arrived. This was the pinnacle. 
Uh, and then shortly after, the new world was discovered and they realized that that wasn't true and they changed the coin from nothing further to more beyond uh, more beyond. And that's the world that we live in. We, we have so much ahead of us, so much more that we are looking forward to that there is more beyond. In, in our text, um, in verses 10 and 11, it says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. More beyond. What's coming for us is so much greater than even what we've experienced or what we're going to live in these next years. There's something great that's coming for us. And, and so how are we focused on that as we begin in a new year, as we get launched into a new thing? What, what are we focused towards? What is your more beyond? What is your one thing? I think in our society today, we get wrapped up in all kinds of things that aren't bad things, but they're not the best thing. Um, some of you are students, you're coming back to uh, Ottawa because you're going back into classes and your one thing right now just seems to be all about school. Um, that's my one thing. Um, some of you are parents and you're uh, seeking to uh, raise your kids in a, in a way that honors the Lord and, and, and uh, your thing is your kids. Um, but maybe your thing is your kids and sports and I'm going to get my kid and we're going to be doing all this stuff and all the rest. And hey, guess what? Guess what? Your kid's not playing in the NHL. Just understand that. Just get over that right now. Get on, like that's a one in a hundred thousand kind of thing, right? And yeah, but my Johnny's an angel. Yeah, well, he ain't that good, okay? <laughs> Don't make your one thing about the wrong thing, all right? Don't make it about the wrong thing. Uh, men, men and, and women, maybe your one thing's your job. You're so focused on your job. What happens in your walk with Christ is actually secondary to that. Uh, maybe your marriage is your one thing. It's not a bad thing. None of those things are really bad things, but they're not the one thing. And when you get the one thing wrong, then all of the rest of it gets out of balance. If, if your kids are your highest priority, then your marriage gets messed up. If your work is your highest priority, then your family gets messed up. If Christ is not your highest priority, if Christ is not your one thing, then we get all the rest of it wrong at some level. And so as we look in the text today, that's what we want to really get focused on as we, we see this. I put it this way, one thing, to know him and make him known. That's it. To know him and make him known. In verse 8 it says, Indeed I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Of knowing Christ. And we're going to come back and see as, as Paul um, pulls this out of the text and, and shows us what he was really striving for and how that worked out in his life. We want to see this one thing. And we're going to look at it from Philippians chapter 3 today. I'm going to look through most of the chapter, but I'm going to focus on really 12 uh, through the end of the chapter. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me as I read from God's word? We want to honor the Lord as we read his word. Here's what he says starting in Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. How awesome is that? Brother, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature Think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that we hold in our hands. What is on this sheet of paper is far more important than anything else I'm going to say today. And so, Lord, if it's not from that page, then help us to remove it from our minds. But Lord, as it supports what's in your word, would you teach us from it? Father, would you make us people who are passionate about knowing you and making you known? Would you make us passionate about a striving forward as we seek to live for the glory of Jesus Christ and Father, we ask that you would give us ears now to listen carefully to what your word says and minds to be able to comprehend it. But then, Lord, faithful hearts to live these things out, that Jesus Christ might be preeminent in our lives. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, really, I want to take a look at two main thoughts today and a couple of points under the first one, a few points under the second one. The first one I want us to see is the believer's position. I want to see the believer's position. If we're going to get the one thing right, we have to take a good look at ourselves. Take a good look at yourself. And so here's the first thing. Look at where you were. In verses 4 to 6 of Philippians, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else think he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Then he kind of gives his credentials, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was a blameless. Now, Paul lays out his pedigree here. Um, this was his claim to fame. This was his, if I was going to stand before God on my own and tell him why I was okay, these are the kinds of things I would say. This is what's going to make me all right before God. He learned very quickly that was not going to make him right before God, how far that fell short. But he wanted to, um, we don't understand who he was. Um, he has this pedigree. But in Acts 22 and verse 20, it says, when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. This man, Paul the Apostle, who became a follower of Jesus Christ, was opposed to believers. He was opposed to Christianity. And, and to the point of, this guy Stephen, he was like, all right, let's, he's going to be put to death. Um, Paul came to understand how far short he had fallen. Even though he had all of the right credentials, he had the right job, he had the right letters after his name, he was striving for what he thought was the right things, and it was all leading to nothing for him. And that's the picture of our world and where it's headed today. We have this world that's all wrapped up in itself and where it's going and what it's about, but it's all walking away from who God is and who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished, and it will lead to nothing for them. Hey, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to introduce you to him today. I want you to know the one who is the answer to the need that we have in our world today. 
It's not in a better job. It's not in a bigger house. It's not in having more stuff. It's, it's in the one who we know. Um, understand where he was. Understand where you were. He had to come to that place of understanding that he was far from God but not only do you have to understand who we are, not only do we have to understand the falling and the failure in our own lives, we have to understand what Jesus Christ did. We have to understand what he did. What he did. Look at, look at verse 12. Uh, verse 12 says, not that I've already obtained these things or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now think about what Christ Jesus has done for us. Go, go back to verses 7 and 8. But ever, whatever gain I had, all of those things that he thought were his pedigree, all those things that he thought were going to be the things that were going to make him all right before God, that he was going to stand before God and the scales would go in his balance and he would be okay. All of those things, he says, I count as loss. What? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When, when Paul put his trust in Christ, the road to Damascus, Acts 9, right? Acts 9, Pastor, Acts 9, I think Acts 9. It was just a test to see if you've been reading your Bible. Acts 9. Um, he, he meets the Lord and he's gloriously saved and spends the rest of most of his earthly life in prison. Spends most of the rest of his life not in the limelight, not in the way he used to have it. Um, he, he spent most of the rest of his life wondering whatever was really accomplished as he uh, served the Lord. I, I was struck, I don't know if I said this when I was here last time, because I've been in so many different places, but Paul, Paul's in prison writing these books and sending them out and, and wondering what was ever accomplished from them. Did the people ever get them? Did they ever read them? Did they ever understand them? And, and they did, and they did, and, and so did we. Uh, we're reading one of those books that he read as he was put aside and set aside. And all the things that were good to me, I count as loss that I might know Christ. So the million-dollar question in 2020 is, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If you were to stand before God and he was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? Would you come up with your pedigree list like he did? I, I took care of my kids. I got a good education. I went to church. I did. Eh, wrong answer. I know Christ. I know Christ. I understand what he did for me. I understand what he accomplished for me. Romans Road says, um, there's none righteous, not even one. So if you think you're the one, not, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's standard, God's expectation has been failed by everyone. You say, well, who do you think you are? I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner just like you're a sinner. The only difference between maybe you and me is I'm a sinner who's trusted Christ and maybe you're a sinner who hasn't trusted Christ. That doesn't make me better. That makes him the focus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. 
Then that amazing verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. See, the believer's position, Paul had his pedigree, but he realized how far it had fallen short, and then he understood who Christ was and what Christ had done, and he had transferred his trust from what he believed was going to make him right before God to the fact that Jesus Christ alone, that relationship with him, that knowing him would make him right before God, and that's a, that's a transfer of your trust. It's an act of faith where I believe that I will stand before God one day, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ because of what he has done. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Understanding you're a sinner, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't earn it. You certainly don't deserve it. And God has done it for us. The believer's position, who you were, what he did, but then look at whose you are. Whose you are, look at verses 9 to 11, and being found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was looking forward to this resurrection, that being with Christ, being in heaven, being in glory, worshiping together forever. He was looking forward to that. But in that first part of that verse, and being him, and found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I was eight years old when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I, I grew up in a Christian family. I'm so thankful for that heritage I have. I know lots of people who didn't have that. Um, but when I was eight years old, I was in a church service, and uh, the guy was preaching on preparing for a trip. And uh, um, it was a cool message. I thought, well, yeah, I, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. And I went home, and I asked my mom, like, what's, what's he talking about? How do I get that? And she explained the gospel to me, and, and that day I trusted Jesus Christ. Um, maybe your story was when you were four, maybe your story was when you were 14 or 24 or 44, but um, I trust you have a story where you can go, that, that's when I trusted Jesus Christ. But here's the point. The day I trusted Christ, I was made righteous. I was made righteous. It's called imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ put on me. His righteousness put on me, my sin put on him. How amazing is that, that God would do that work for us? Think about whose you are. Think about what Christ has done for you. This work of salvation is done, it's finished, it's secure. The process of sanctification is going on and becoming more like Christ. We're going to see that in a minute as we go into the text. But the believer's position Take a good look at yourself as you launch into a new year, as we move into 2020, and you, you think about, boy, I remember what I was. And I remember what he did. And now I think about, about who I belong to. I got to live for him. I want to live for him. I want him to be the focus. I want him to be the passion of my heart. That's the believer's position. The second part of this message, which will be a, long, a little longer than the first part of the message, just so you know. I don't want you to think you're going home in 10 minutes or anything, right? So, um, is the believer's practice. Having a right focus 
moving forward. Let's take a look at some of the things. There's a few of them that Paul had here. Um, Here's the first one, his perspective. It's not about me. Uh, Verses 12 and 13, again, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. It's not about me. Paul, Paul says that here. He says, not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect. You're like, okay, Paul Whittingstall, are you going to try and tell me you're perfect? Believe me, just talk to my wife afterwards. She could give you a whole book full of things of my imperfections. It's not that kind of perfect. That's not the word that it's talking about here. Um, Not that I'm yet perfect. The word is, uh, another way to say it, though, is to say, not that I'm yet complete, or not that I'm yet mature, right? And so, but in this sense for us as followers of Jesus Christ, positionally, I am perfect, When God looks at me, he looks through the lens of who Jesus Christ is, and he sees Christ's righteousness in me. That's the only way I could ever go to heaven, is because of that sense of of perfection. I didn't do that. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I can't attain that. That was put on me, imputed to me, by the work of Jesus Christ. And so in that sense, when God looks at me, he doesn't see all the mess that's there because it's all covered by the blood of Christ. It's all taken care of because of the work of of God for me in salvation. That's that sense of positional perfection. But then there's the part that's being done. Another way to call this would be our sanctification. This is as we are growing up in Christ. We're growing in our holiness. I'm growing in learning patience. I'm growing in every good work, Hebrews 13, 21. Or I'm, I'm, I'm maturing in, as, I, as I strive forward. I Here, how about this way? I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I will be. I'm not even what I should be, but I'm not what I was. Right? And, and I'm on this bumpy road of moving forward in maturity and growing up in Jesus Christ. This is what God is doing in me. Not that I'm yet perfect, but I'm growing up in Christ. But Paul in this text, the whole point of this is he's coming to this place of ultimate perfection. Ultimate perfection is he looks forward to what is going to be there for him. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He wasn't talking about working for his salvation. He was just talking about as he goes through that this is what we're going for. This is what our lives are for. Have a right perspective. Have an understanding that this is a process that we're going through and we're growing up in Jesus Christ. Um. Forgetting that which is behind. Um, He's not saying that we don't ever remember things that we do, right? But some of you um, need to forget some of the things from behind. Um, You've had sin in your life, and uh, you've confessed that sin, and, uh, and yet you still live in the shadow of it every day. The sense of how could God ever really use me I'm, I'm a failure. Um, if you've confessed your sin, 
The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. Does it mean you didn't sin? No, it doesn't mean you didn't sin. It means your sin is forgiven. The Bible says it's gone as far as the east is from the west. Oh, that's a long, long way. Why do you keep bringing it up? Why do you allow Satan to keep bringing it up in your life? A guy taught me, a guy who was my mentor, taught me a great lesson about this once in my own life, and that is when, when you've confessed something in your life and Satan brings it back up or it keeps coming back up in your life, if you've confessed it, you turn that to an action of praise. Yes, I was that, but I'm not that anymore because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. What he told me was, he goes, you start doing that, Satan's not bringing that up anymore. Every time you turn something that he brings up to glory to God, he's going to stop doing that in your life. He doesn't want you glorifying God for how awesome he is in the work. Are there ramifications of things that we've done in our lives that may impact us for the rest of our lives? Sure there are. But don't allow the weight of, of sin that has been forgiven to allow you to get your eyes off of the Lord to make you think you're sitting on the bench somewhere and, and God can't use you. God can use you. God does use you. The guy who wrote this letter was a huge failure from a spiritual perspective before he knew Christ, probably even consenting to having people put to death for knowing Christ. So if you think your sin is any worse than his, really? You have a small view of God and his forgiveness. Have a big view of God and his forgiveness and his restoration and his love. What keeps us from moving forward in our lives? Um, some words that are uh, from the tech. What puffs up? Things that puff up. Those are the things that used to be. The things that I've done. The things that lead to pride and to arrogance. Those will keep you from moving forward. Uh, what tears down? hard circumstances or difficulties or injustice in my life and you walk around with a woe is me attitude. Okay, let me be careful here because I don't know what your burden is. I don't know what your hurt is. And I'm not trying to minimize maybe what you've been through. But are you allowing that to take your eyes off of what God is doing and what God has done and how he will work in your life as you are moving forward uh, maybe you're a little older. I look around the room and I like. I think I'm like the oldest guy in the room, maybe second oldest. And uh, the good old days, people always talk about what used to be. The reason people talk about what used to be is because they don't have an active story of what God is doing. If your God story is always about the things that used to be, there's something wrong with your God story, right? And so what's God doing in your life today? How is God working? What are you seeing happening? How is he using you? Who's coming and asking you for the reason of the hope that is in you because of the life that you are demonstrating in your walk with him? Paul uses in one of the words he uses in this text is the word straining, straining forward. That's the energy that he's putting into this. Um, again, verses 12 through uh, 14, uh, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because uh, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul's focus was on moving forward, and he was going to give it all of the energy he could so that he could live for the Lord Jesus Christ straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, 
I press on. I press on towards the goal. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I didn't know this until I got here today. This is your pastor's life verse. And uh, no wonder when I said, can I preach from Philippians? He goes, yes, you can. Uh, when I want to preach about one thing, he goes, yes, you can. Um, what a great verse. It's, it's only surpassed by my life verse which is Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But, but I'll give you a good second place, okay, um, in that. And uh, I press on. I press on. I press toward the goal, or I press toward the line. I press toward the mark. I'm going after it. I'm going after it hard. Nothing passive about our life in Christ. It's all in and all in for God's glory. To know him and to make him known. He talks a little bit about his direction. The next point in my message is about the direction in verse 14. Again, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, One thing. One thing. One thing. Well, do I quit my job? No, you don't do you quit your job. You do your job in this one thing. Uh, do, I, do, I, uh, do, do I not give my time to my kids? No, you give your time to your kids, but with this one thing, with this one thing. Um, on December the 31st, 2013, I wrote on Facebook, I wrote this. Here's what I'm going for in 2013. Excuse me, I wrote it on December 31st, 2012. Here's what I'm going for in 2013. One thing. I press on for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Help me, God, to make that my one thing. Help me, God, to make that my one thing, that I would press on. So what's the one thing? What's the goal? What's the prize? Um, There's significant hints in the text. In verse 11, he talks about the resurrection from the dead, accomplished in salvation, still being accomplished in towards glorification. The second half of verse 12, because Christ has made me his own. Um, Wow, how awesome that that Christ has done his work for us. Um, Look in verse uh, 21, he says, um, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Uh, Paul was looking forward. Paul was striving towards what God was going to do in the resurrection. He was done living for this world. He was living for the next world. He was living in this world, but he was living for the next world. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So I've taken that, and I've already said this at the beginning, I've taken that, and and I've made it this way, the statement for my life, to know him and make him known. To know him and make him known. Why? Because it's going to be worth it. Because I look forward to the resurrection. I look forward to what's coming. I look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, to, to know him. And make him known. Know him in the sense of salvation. Know him more and more in the sense of relationship and growing up in Christ. Hey, I remember when uh, Sue and I were dating, we'd been married for uh, almost 41 years. Right? Glad I got that right. Almost 41 years. 
And uh, when we were dating, I used to write letters back and forth. And I wanted to know everything about her. I wanted to know what she liked, what she didn't like, and all the rest of that stuff. And we would go out and we would buy, like, shirts that were the same. So we were walking down the street. And, and people used to laugh at those pictures. And I'm watching Christmas pictures now. Everybody's buying pajamas that are the same. Like, we were just, like, 40 years ahead of the time. Okay? Um, but I wanted to know. I wanted to know everything that I could know about her. I wanted to. I wanted to know her more. And, and we've been on a 41-year journey of growing up in Christ, and I am still surprised how dumb I am some days about how didn't I get that like 35 years ago. Um, a guy came into my office a couple years ago when I was at the church, and I'd done a, his wedding a year before that, and I said, so how's it going? Names will be left out in case you know these people, but uh, how's it going? And he goes, one year. He goes, I thought I'd know her by now. I'm like, are you kidding? But he, first of all, as soon as you get it figured out, she's going to change the rules. So like this is, this is a lifelong thing for the rest of your life. But, but I still want to know. I want to know Sue more. But how does that compare to how I know God and my passion to know him? See, as you come into a new year, it's, a, it's just a new beginning. You can, and, and if you bomb on this like on Tuesday, you can start again on Wednesday. It's okay. Um, it's not like you have to wait until the next year. But I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to strive forward, looking forward to the resurrection. I want to look forward to what God has for me. That's what I'm going for. That's my one thing. That's the upward call. The upward call. Paul uses an imagery here that's drawn from the Greek games. And uh, so here's how it works. Let me just kind of read this for you. The, um, um, Paul uses an imagery drawn from the Greek games that pervades this section and is probably reflected on the upward call. The Olympian games, which included foot races, were organized and presided over by highly respected officers. After each event, they would have a herald, a winner, and announce the name of the victor, his father's name, and his country, and the athlete would come and receive a palm branch from their hand. They received the upward call. You won the race, now you come. This is Jim. He is the son of da-da-da. He is from the nation of that. And all of that would be laid out there. That was that sense of upward call. Here's who he is. Here's who he's done. Well, we look forward in that sense to the upward call of being with Christ in eternity forever. That's the upward call we're going for. That upward call for them is kind of lame. Get, getting the gold and silver and, and, uh, and bronze medals, that's a wonderful thing if you win those things. But it's nothing compared to what we have coming in Jesus Christ. And we get our eyes fixed on what God has done and what's coming for us. It will help us every day for the rest of our lives to live with a right focus. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your family, whether it's your job, whether it's your education, whatever it is. And what will keep you from sin? Knowing Jesus Christ and wanting him to have the preeminence, having him to be first, this one thing, one thing. Well, the next thing that I want you to see is that uh, this is a together thing. Um, it says in verse thir- uh, 15, let those of you who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us, let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. We have the sense of doing it um, together. Um, 
immaturity. He uses that uh, word uh, perfection again or, or the word mature. Um, those of you who are mature. But we learn and we lean on, we strive and we help one another. Um, I got a call from uh, the pastor in um, Niagara. This is not a secret, so I can tell you this story. Um, he had gone through a very difficult couple of weeks in his life. Um, he'd had two or three key people in his church who had died. Uh, he had one of his key families, their son, had to go into the hospital. And um, it was just like no gas left in his tank. And uh, he called me to apologize for not being on a call that like 30 other guys were. I didn't even know he wasn't on the call. And, uh, and I said, why don't you let me come and preach for you this Sunday? I have it opened. And, and he goes, no, it's okay. I've got, I, I got my message done by God's grace. My message is done. I go, it's not about do you have a message. It's about do you have anything left in the tank to be able to deliver the message, right? I only say that. Not, not, so I got to go down and preach in Niagara. It was a really cool weekend to go and be with them. And Sue and I spent time with him and his wife that afternoon. And, and, I, and when it was done, he goes, I am so thankful you came. Because by the time I got through to the funeral on Saturday, I didn't know how I was ever going to preach. And uh, together. Together. You don't walk this Christian life alone. The Christian life was never designed to be lived by itself. That's why you have small groups. That's why you get together for fellowship. That's why you have prayer partners. That's why all of those things you have are because we need each other. We need to stir each other to love and, and good deeds. I, I love the verses when, when Paul says, um, he says things like, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. First uh, Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith in purity. We, we do this life that we do, we do it together as we strive for the one thing. If you try and do it on your own, you're going to get so distracted and you're going to get so off focus and you're going to get so bogged down and you need people who come alongside and give you a kick in the head every once in a while to get your attention and others who will encourage you and, and spur you on and help you. And But here's the reality. Next point. It's not going to be easy. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Right in the middle of this great text, there's a sense to me of like heartbreak for him. I've often told you about these people. They walk as enemies of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Um, their end is destruction. The final judgment is already determined for them. They worship themselves. It talks about whose God is their belly. Um, describes the idolatry of these enemies. Whose glory is their shame. Um, it shows them they are the ones on the throne in their lives and God is not on the throne in their life. And it breaks his heart. Um, they set their minds on earthly things. Not only do they get caught up in earthly things, they set their minds on earthly things. God, God, help us not to get caught up in that kind of destructive behavior in our lives. That's why marriages fail. Marriages fail because people take their eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've done, I don't know, 50, 60 weddings in my um, ministry career. Not one single marriage has ever failed where both couples have their eyes on Jesus Christ. None. It's impossible. It will not, it cannot happen. 
It happens when people take their eyes off of Christ and get their eyes on their own thing and get their eyes on their own idolatry. And, and, and maybe you're a person in this room and you've been on the receiving side of that. You were trying to be faithful to the Lord and, and your spouse wasn't. God, we need to pray for you. We need to love you. We need to care for you. Maybe you're the person who took your eyes off the Lord and you walked away. There's still forgiveness and there's still restoration and all of that. But, but the reality is that people make themselves the glory. People put themselves on the throne. They get their eyes on earthly things. There will be struggles, and it won't always be easy to be faithful in 2020. But be faithful. 1 Peter 4, 12, and most of it through verse 16 says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. Hey, Is there trouble in your life right now? Don't be surprised. You're like, there's no trouble in my life. Well, get ready. Because it's coming. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's what Paul's talking about. When his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. Well, one more thing. One more thing is we we think about this idea of the believer's practice, and that's our hope. Uh, Verses 20 and 21. But your citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Your citizenship is in heaven. I brought my passport with me today. Um, I am so thankful that God uh, allowed me to be born in this nation. Um, We are hugely blessed. I look at the places I've been in the last couple of years, and um, this uh, this little blue book with Canada stamped on the front of it, like billions of people in the world wish they had one of these because their passport doesn't do what our passport does. See, I'm a, I'm a Canadian. I don't even know how good I have it, right? I travel all over the world. I was in, I've been in Hong Kong. I've been in, um, in Singapore, or not Singapore. I've been in, I've been in the Philippines. I've, I've been in Haiti. I've been in places where I couldn't understand the language at all, and yet English signs all over the airports. You're like, we, we are so blessed. If you're an American, this is not a shot at you. This is just that we're better, okay, just so you know. Americans are seen as being a little bit more arrogant and proud, and we're seen as being more humble and quiet. And when people see that Canada thing, they're like, oh, you guys are cool. And uh, it's cool to be a citizen of this nation. Even in the midst of all that's going on, and I have huge concerns about our nation, and we need to be praying for our leaders. And you can complain all you want about them, but if you're not praying for them, you're not doing what God's word says to do. So, um, but, but I get this passport, and it takes me just about anywhere. Um, And we live in a great nation, but this is nothing compared to what's coming. This isn't really where my citizenship is. If my citizenship, my real citizenship is here, then my priorities are going to be about this. 
It's going to be about this world. It's going to be about this time. It's going to be about this. And I believe as Christians, there are tough days that are coming for us in our land, and it's going to be difficult for us, and and God is going to be faithful, and God is not going to leave us alone, and and we are going to win, and at the end, we're going to glory. So, So when he talks about here, he goes, but our citizenship is in heaven, for we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're like, well, yeah, of course we await a Savior as Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you have to understand the context. See, the Savior for them in the, in the Philippians, in their world, in the world, it wasn't Jesus Christ. It was Caesar. And so when they talk about we await a Savior, the Savior in the Roman Empire, they use the word, was the emperor. And so what Paul is saying is so much more significant than, woohoo, I got a passport about Canada. He goes, I got something way better than what Caesar can offer to us. I've got what Jesus Christ offers to us. And that's the citizenship that we have. And so when he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior who's coming back, Jesus Christ who's coming back for his children who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to be subject to all things. That's my hope. My hope's not in what I can accomplish on the earth. It's not how much money I can make. It's not how big a house I have. It's not about, it's not about those things. It's about Jesus Christ and what he has done and what we look forward to. And so how much of your time, how much time do you spend looking forward. I I would call this the so what in the message. This is the so what part in the message. This is the, are you on the nothing further plan like Spain was? Yeah, we've got it all. We've got it all right here. Or are you on the, there is far more coming for us in this world. What's your so what? What is it you are desiring How passionate are you about being a follower of Jesus Christ, of knowing him, of making him known? This one thing I do, I press on because I look forward to what's coming in Jesus Christ, God helping me in 2020 and whatever days God gives me, that I would be that person pressing on for the glory of Jesus Christ, the Savior. And would that be you? As we live to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text. We thank you for the lessons that we learned from Paul. We we realize, Lord, so many of us, we've never been through anything like he was through. And even in the struggle, he kept his eyes fixed on you. Even in days of discouragement, he fixed his eyes on you. Why? Because he looked forward to something far greater that was coming. And God, we have that hope if we are in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, not to get bogged down in wrong priorities. Not even that they're bad priorities, they're just not the first priority. And we'd make our first priority to live for the fame of Jesus Christ, to know him and make him known. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name.